The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief story maker at Elkins Consulting. I've been doing a series of these storytelling episodes, sharing some of my career stories and, and other stories to demonstrate how you can use stories to move forward in your career. So here's the next one, episode 294, Storytelling for Professionals. I only wish I had a tool like StrengthsFinder or Clifton Strengths is what we're calling it now earlier in my career and a coach to walk me through those results. Looking back at my professional successes, I can see where my talent showed up in the best ways. And looking back at my struggles in the workplace, I definitely see where my talents weren't so well presented, where I got in my own way big time. When I think about storytelling for professionals, I think about the work stories that demonstrate the best and the worst of our experiences, not just the highlights. Why? Because when we share a story of a perceived failure or struggle and what we learned from it, how we managed to move forward, we demonstrate some of our most important professional and personal qualities. When I started my job with the Montana University System, I knew I'd enjoy working with my boss, Bill McGregor. We had worked together on some events when I was the director of sales at a local hotel. That's how we met. And it's why he invited me to apply for the job that he had available and to work with him. What I didn't know was what an extraordinary team we would make, eventually. We had about two years and around $2 million to improve the transfer experience for students changing schools within Montana. The goal was to make it simple for a student who took, say, college algebra at the University of Montana in Missoula to immediately get credit for college algebra when they transferred to Montana State University in Bozeman. Bill is very diplomatic. He's the perfect person to lead the charge on behalf of our Montana higher education students. He developed a plan to gather faculty and staff from all subject areas at all schools in the state to discuss which courses in their curriculum could be considered equivalent and which were obviously unique. We would look at outcomes of the courses. What can the student do when they've completed the course successfully? What does this prepare them for to take the next course in a series? As opposed to the traditional review of a syllabus to decide if the course could be transferred. We were going to identify the equivalent courses, knowing that the student who took the course would be prepared for the next level. We created a database for students to easily look up their courses to see if they had a direct equivalent at their intended transfer school in the system. But this meant changing the prefix and name of each course that had equivalents of at other schools. So M110 College Algebra was M110 College Algebra, no matter where in the state you took the course. You can imagine the resistance to the project from faculty who had taught those courses for years and generally were very attached to the prefix number and title. Some of the meanings were openly hostile. 
we had an uphill battle for sure. At the first meeting I attended, Bill hosted around 25 guests, faculty, staff, registrars, and admissions officers from all over the state, including those from our tribal colleges. He masterfully brought everyone together, explained the value of the project for our students, and walked them through the strategy we had developed. There was some tension and conflict for sure, but by the end, I could see the reduction in that tension, the grudging acceptance. Everyone seemed to feel that their voices were heard. And then the meeting ended. I was annoyed. No actual decisions had been made. No action items were stated. There were no deadlines discussed. And I thought, well, that's just great. How are we supposed to move forward? We didn't get anything done in this meeting. The next two or three meetings went the same way, and I found myself seriously frustrated, biting my tongue during the meetings until I couldn't stand it anymore. At one, I interrupted my boss, asked a few pointed questions that we really needed answers to, and recruited a few people to take the lead and set deadlines for small parts of the project. I didn't notice my boss's reaction until we got in the car to return to our office. He was not pleased. Why did you interrupt and take over the meeting like that? I answered that we really needed to see some progress in these meetings, and I was getting frustrated with the long-winded academic conversations. I'm sorry, Bill. I know I could have handled that better. I just, I got the impression you hired me because I take action, because I get things done. I'm sure we can figure out a way to work better together. It took a few days for both of us to cool down. It was pretty intense. When we scheduled the next meeting for faculty, I mentioned to Bill that an agenda with specific outcomes listed at the end might help move things forward. Then I asked what his goal was for that particular meeting. Bill said, I just want people to feel like their voices are heard. That's it. I want to set the foundation here for this group of faculty to know we aren't railroading them into agreeing to something that doesn't make sense. Whew. Now that I understood the point of the meeting and his style of leadership, I was able to reduce my own frustration. I offered to take notes so I'd at least be able to distract myself. I was still very frustrated, but far less than before because I knew his goals. Understanding his leadership style also allowed me to back off and know that he was leading differently from me, but he was leading. Before the next meeting, I asked again, Bill, what are your goals for this meeting? What outcomes do you want to achieve? This time he answered, I want to make sure everyone is comfortable to speak, and I want to see if we can get through at least half of this list of 400 math courses to identify which of the courses might be considered equivalent and which are obviously unique. I propose that for the three hours we had with faculty, that he take the first 10 or 15 minutes to set the tone and that I could facilitate the rest. Okay, Sarah, we can try that, but you have to leave room for discussion or I'll take over and I expect you to back off. 
(laughs) That was pretty clear. Not only did we get through the entire list of courses way beyond Bill's hope, but as faculty left the room, at least three of them stopped to congratulate us, saying, wow, Bill and Sarah, that was the most productive meeting I've ever attended. Great job. Thanks for making that so fast and so well done. Bill was absolutely delighted. On our way back to the office, our two-hour drive was filled with smiles. Our discussion went from what we both observed throughout the meeting to how we'd handle the next series of subject areas. We were officially a team. I knew we would still have some friction here and there, but I felt truly valued as a trusted colleague, and I knew we'd be successful. Between his diplomatic approach and my strategic brain, this was going to work. That's why I wish I had StrengthsFinder back when I was early in my career, because I would have better understood that my command can show up as soon as I perceive a lack of leadership, the key word being perceive. I could continue this story. I could shorten it to describe just the dynamics in our meetings. I could go into more detail about the conflict between us, or I could pick out another specific situation in those two and a half years with Bill that demonstrates a different part of my work style, the way I approach problem solving, my character, the way I approach conflict and personal development. You learned a lot about me simply by listening. One critical factor is that I didn't just share how I succeeded. I shared how we worked as a team. And I shared a potential weakness, my frustration with my boss. I interrupted him, and we had a problem between us that had to be solved. Are you picking up what I'm dropping off here? One of the most common questions my job interview storytelling clients ask is that, how do I answer that question, what's your biggest weakness? My story answered that question while demonstrating the strategic way I approached my boss after our conflict. It also demonstrated how my solution worked, the outcomes of learning important lessons. It shared that I not only understood my role in the conflict, but that I learned something from it. Okay, listeners, now it's your turn. Think back on the story I just shared. Did my story remind you of something that happened recently at work or maybe earlier in your career? What was your experience that was similar? Can you identify the characters in the story and what lessons you learned? Categorize the story so you know what that story demonstrates about who you are and how you work. Story sharing can play a pivotal role in your career. Whether you're in an interview or at a networking event, speaking in front of a room full of executives or at the proverbial water cooler, meaningful career stories are your opportunity to demonstrate your talents and successes without bragging. Add a couple of stories to your story collection. In my work, I call it a story portfolio. Add a story so you know which story to share 
when you want people to know something specific about you. Thanks for listening to the Your Stories Don't Define You podcast. Are you curious about working with me to provide career storytelling workshops for you or your team so they can develop within your organization and be the best ambassadors for you and your mission? Schedule a discovery call with me by visiting elkinsconsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.